You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. I'm wondering, as we're in this series on prayer, if there's ever been a thought in your mind where you were thinking like, if God already knows everything, then why do I really need to ask God anything? If he already knows everything about everything, and he already knows how everything's going to work out, do you believe God already knows how everything's going to work out? Or do you believe God sometimes gets to the moment and goes, wow, I had no idea that was going to happen? I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, do you ever think God gets to that moment and he goes, I didn't know you were going to do that? Or does he know? I'm asking. It says in his word that he knows exactly what day we're going to die on. So what if on the day that he knows we're going to die on that day, there are believers praying for us on that day that we won't die, and he already knows that's the day that has been appointed for you to take your last breath. Does this ever cause anybody any tension, what I'm talking about, or everybody's already solved this and moved on? Thank you. I mean, let's think about some of the things this word says, because these seem like they operate on two sides of the equation. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Now, I like that about God personally. He does whatever he wants to do. That's what he does. Well, I didn't like what he did. Well, he does what he wants to do. And he's a good God, so he's always going to do something that's good even if it doesn't look like it from us. So if God does whatever pleases him, why do I need to pray? Or maybe my prayer is just, God, do whatever pleases you. That's what you're going to do anyway. So do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Or what about this one in Job 42.2? To say it a different way. Job came to the conclusion after a bumpy ride in life, I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Now, I love proclaiming that when I know God's working in my plan. And there's headwind coming and I go, doesn't matter. No plan of God's can be thwarted. I don't like that when God's using the circumstance to unfold a different plan than the plan that I had planned. But Job came to believe that no purpose or no plan of God's can be thwarted. So why are we doing a series or a collection of talks on prayer that moves the heart of God when no plan of God can be thwarted? He says in a different place, Psalm 139, for before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So isn't it being a little redundant to say to things to God that he already knows I'm going to say to him before I even say him? So why say him? No one else is struggling with this, just me. <laughs> and then you take all of those together and hear the invitation of Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved. Unless, of course, it's not what pleases him. Because he does whatever pleases him. See, that's what I'm thinking right now. Do you want to move the mountain? Because I can say to it, be moved, but do you want to move it? And there's tension in that. 
He says, you can speak to it and say to it, be moved, and it will be moved into the sea. And so I obviously can't resolve the tension today of a sovereign God who runs the affairs of history and does whatever he wants to do, and a God who invites me to pray bold prayers and say to things, be moved and see a move. So I want to lead us kind of through the tension today, if that's okay, to a faith that captures the attention of heaven. And why? Why would we pray, even though God already knows everything? Because he is inviting us to believe him for the miraculous and to ask him for the impossible. Luke 7, verse 1 we see a story where Jesus is amazed, and that's pretty incredible. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, and they said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my Roof. Now, that's kind of interesting because his friend said he did deserve it, and then he said he didn't deserve it. So I think God liked his, the posture of his heart already. His friend said, God, you, sh- you should do this. Jesus, you should do this for him because, you know, he helped us out. He's a friend of our nation. He built synagogues, so you should do him this one. And then when he heard Jesus was coming, he sent word and said, no, don't come. I don't, I, I don't deserve to have you even come into my house. He had that humility of heart toward God and toward Jesus. And Jesus, I believe, liked that. He said, I I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then notice what he says in verse 8. He he was on, on board with our talk last week about authority in prayer. He said, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he understood what was going on. He knew that the Almighty had sent this Jesus. He figured this out. And you're under authority. You have authority And I operate like that, and I know how authority works, so you don't even need to come to my house. In fact, all you need to do is just speak a word, and my servant will be healed. And when he said that, Jesus was arrested by that. Notice how Luke records it. He said, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Now, we we don't know exactly what that looked like. If he was like, (laughs) is it the first one of those? We don't know if he just stood there and went. But he was amazed. I'm just marveling now at the possibility 
that something I do could amaze Jesus. And then he turned to the people and he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. This guy's not even one of the insiders. He doesn't even know all the language. He doesn't even know all the prophets and he doesn't know the law. And he's not been brought up the way that we've all been brought up, but yet he understands how it works. He knows there's a throne where there's all authority. He knows that this one has that authority because he's under that authority. Yes, he's God in human flesh, but he's also under the authority and under the orders and under the will and on the plan of the Father in heaven who has all the authority and now has given him authority. And he knows that all you have to do is say a word and something gets dispatched in the spiritual realm and my servant will get healed. You don't even have to come to the house. And Jesus was amazed at him. That brings us to point number one today. Great faith captures the attention of heaven. I want you to know that today, that you can cause heaven to stop and be amazed. You say, well, Louis, it's amazing in this story because the servant got healed and there's that other story in Capernaum where Jairus' daughter got healed and there was that other story where the woman came and touched his garment and she got healed and all these people got healed. But when we prayed the bold prayer of faith that we hoped would touch heaven, we didn't get the miracle. And then we're left to wonder, well, was our faith not good enough. And so that adds some more tension to the equation. And obviously, I can't speak into every situation that's happened in all of our lives, but I can say this, that when we pray bold prayers of faith and pray for the miracle and a different outcome happens, it doesn't mean that we didn't have enough faith. It only means that in this case, God is using the circumstances in a different plan. That's a shift. That is a shift. And it's the shift that Jesus was making. That while he was healing all these people, including this centurion's servant, he himself knew there would be a moment where he would come to his last day on earth before his leaving earth. And then on that day, his prayer would have to be a different prayer. We've looked at this prayer a lot at Passion, but I think it's a heartbeat prayer for every believer. John 12, verse 20, or let's just start down in verse 23. Jesus was replying to these people about the timeline of his life. And he said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So that sounds great. I'm about to get glorified. And then he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So there's two plans there. If the seed remains by itself, that's good. 
but it's just one seed. But if that seed were to choose to fall into the ground and die, it could be multiplied into many, 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 many seeds. So which one of those plans would you want today if you got to decide? I get to keep my life and hang on to everything I've got, or I lose my life, and in the process of losing my life, somehow God multiplies my life into many, many, many more lives, more than he would if I had kept my life. This is all of our call as a follower of Jesus, but it's about to be specifically his call. Here's how he explains it. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, we're coming down to his prayer. Verse 27, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? In other words, I'm about to pray. What am I going to pray? Am I going to pray, A, Father, save me from this hour. That's prayer one. Or am I going to pray, the last prayer here is in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. So we're coming down to the wire here, and I'm going to pray a bold prayer, and I'm either going to pray, pray, save me from this moment. These people are trying to kill me, or I'm going to pray, glorify your name. And he understands which to pray because he knows who he is and where he is in the timeline of God. And so he says, shall I say, save me from this hour? And then he answers himself, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour, So I'm going to pray, Father, glorify your name. One plan could have been that God miraculously saved his son off the cross, could have sent down angels, Jesus said. They could have rescued him off the cross in the moment, destroyed all the people trying to take his life, and it would have been a miracle. But God didn't do that. Because God was working all of the madness in a different plan. God didn't create all the madness. He was just choosing to use it in a different plan. And Jesus knew that the right prayer and the miracle of the moment was that somehow in his choosing... God could get glory. And he said, glorify your name. That's the second point. To pray, Father, glorify your name is the prayer God always answers. But then that brings up a question. So what are you saying, Louis? Are you saying we shouldn't pray for miracles? Of course not. We should pray for miracles. We should absolutely pray for the impossible. But mostly, we should pray for miracles being informed by a desire to advance the gospel in the world. Does that make sense? In other words, so I'm not just detached from heaven's mission, living my life, doing my thing. Of course, I love God. And when I need God to do things that I can't do, I pray for miracles and bold faith in my life. No, what I need to do is get attached to the mission of heaven. And as I'm attached to the mission of heaven, moving through life, I pray bold prayers. But the bold, miraculous prayers I'm praying primarily are to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
And that's a different kind of praying. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to pray for our loved ones or a a meeting that we have at work or a situation that we're invested in. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we're supposed to be attached to the mission of heaven. Because when we're leaned into the mission of heaven, the mission of heaven is leaned into us. If you want to tap into kingdom power, then tap into the kingdom mission. Because Jesus said, go into all nations and preach the gospel, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. So if you want to be sure God is with you, then do the thing that God sent you to do. And I believe that there's some correlation there. I don't really know how to quantify that and really wouldn't try. I just know going back to Acts 4, where we've been in every one of these talks, their prayer was, consider their threats. Enable your servants. To do what? To make it through? To get by? To escape the hardship? No. To preach the word boldly. We want to line up with the mission of heaven so that we can be ensured that we have the miraculous power of heaven in our story. And as we do that, we're looking at every situation, praying for the miraculous all the time, but we're doing it with the motivation that Jesus would be seen, that people would be saved, and that the gospel would go forward. Amen? I remember being at a conference uh, when I was kind of in my formative years of faith, and there were amazing pastors there from all over the world, mostly from countries where the gospel was not widely known or where it was illegal to be a Christian. And they'd gathered at this uh, retreat center, and uh, someone had kindly invited me to come and be a part of it. And through the few days, every conversation that you were in was some kind of miracle, something happening. And it was just normal conversation, like we would be sitting around talking about a Braves game or something. They're like, yes, and X, Y, and Z miracle happened. And nobody's going, really? I mean, it's just like normal. And we're sitting at this round table over a lunch, and this pastor from Burma uh, now, Myanmar, he's talking about a revival that happened in this village where the, the elders of the village got saved, and ultimately almost everyone in this village came to faith. They renounced witch doctors and came to faith in Jesus. And I'm like, okay, just, you know, nobody at the table is like, wow, that's amazing. They're like, oh, praise God. <laughs> Except this one guy who's, who wants to see a revival happen in this village near where he is. And he goes, well, what sparked the revival. And this pastor, I can see him as if he's, look, he's sitting across the table from me right now. He said, well, <clears throat> it, it was interesting. Um, there was a fire in one of the huts in this village. And a small child, a girl, died in the fire. She was burned to death. And when she died, um, the village was distraught, obviously. Her family was distraught. And they called in the witch doctors to um, perform a ritual over her and see if they could raise her from the dead. And so the witch doctors came and they did all these ceremonies over the girl and nothing worked. And um, after some time, they just gave up and the girl's dead. And the village was about to move on to bury the girl. And one of the villagers spoke up and said, I've heard that in the next town, there are people there who are proclaiming a name. It is Jesus. And I've heard that they do miraculous things. And so the elders got together and they called for these 
Man, they took several hours to go to the village. They found the, uh, the town. They found the people. They agreed to come to the village. They listened to the whole story. They got to the village. They didn't go to the family. They didn't go to the girl. When they got to the village, they went to the elders, and they gathered the elders, and they told them who they were, and they told them the gospel that they believed in. They told them who Jesus was and what he had done, and they said, you know, we don't know what the will of God is in every situation. We're here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, that he has given his life for the salvation of all people, including all the people in this village, and including including you elders, but we will pray. But if we call on the name of Jesus and he answers us, will you believe that Jesus is the son of God? They looked at themselves and they all kind of agreed and they said, we will believe in Jesus. And so they went and found the girl and her family and the elders were gathered around and they prayed for the girl. He's just telling this guy this story like, and I'm just like, And they prayed for the girl, and nothing happened. And some time went by, and one of them said, Dear God, we pray that you'd be glorified in this village. And he said he put his hand toward the girl one more time, and the girl sat up. And all the elders put their faith in Jesus. And in time, almost everyone, I, I don't know who the, the person was that wasn't the one, but there's always someone. <laughs> the sa same way there'll be someone in this gathering today and you'll go, you know what, no. There's always someone. But almost everyone in this village put their faith in Jesus. And I know a couple of things were going through my mind that have stayed with me in my whole walk with God. Number one, God can raise the dead. Yes. Amen. It's not his normal operating mode. That's why most of the people in this room today don't know anyone that God has raised from the dead. Or even someone who knows someone who is raised from the dead. I've been traveling all over the world my entire lifetime with all different kinds of people in all different streams of the church in all different climates and countries all around planet Earth. I have not heard many stories of people who have been raised from the dead. But God can raise people from the dead. And he may be doing it somewhere on planet Earth right this instant. But if he is... I want you to know why he is. If he is, it is for the demonstration of his power for the proclamation of the gospel story of Jesus so that people will be saved and villages will be changed and revival will come to the world. And so as I'm praying for miracles, I want to be praying for miracles linked in to kingdom purposes, knowing that God wants people to be saved. But then there's always the lens. There are people in this gathering whose son or daughter didn't come back. And so what about their prayers of faith? 
What about my prayers of faith when I've prayed and called on heaven and fasted and believed and prayed as big a prayer as my faith can pray? And it wasn't the outcome of the village in Burma. Well, here's what I want you to know today is that even then, your prayer for the miraculous shook heaven. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to see that miracles did happen. Many miracles happened because of our faith in God. When they prayed in Acts 4, the place where they were praying was shaken. And when we pray for the miraculous things are shaken. Most notably, heaven takes notice and heaven is shaken. And I believe that when we pray, it moves and touches the heart of God. And I know sometimes in our perspective, we don't get the outcome that we were hoping for. But what about this outcome? Our faith touched the heart of Almighty God. What kind of miracle is that? I've talked so much about the hole of depression that I fell in in the past. And there was a breaking point about two months in, a night that changed the story. It didn't instantly change, but it's the tipping point that got me back into reality, back into sanity, back into living. And on this particular night, like all nights, I'm up in the middle of the night feeling like this cloud is suffocating me. And I'm calling out to God, I'm crying out to heaven. A lot of you have been there and your prayers get a lot simpler and more desperate the farther you are down in places like that. And I wasn't praying big grandiose prayers, I was just crying out to God. And that night, my prayer was this. I said, God, you didn't heal me yesterday. That was recorded fact. I said, God, the doctors haven't been able to heal me. That was recorded fact. And I'd been to a lot of them. I said, and you didn't heal me today. That also was a recorded fact. And based on all that, I don't know if you're gonna heal me tomorrow. But I want to declare this tonight from the bottom of this dark hole that I am in, even though you didn't heal me yesterday and you did not heal me today and you might not heal me tomorrow, I wanna to proclaim that you are a healer. You're still a healer. No, you didn't heal me yesterday. No, you didn't heal me today. Might not heal me tomorrow, but you're still a healer. And I, I believe, I don't know. I, I don't know if I got up into the centurion's category or not, but I know something changed that night. And the Holy Spirit helped remind me that my greatest weapon was worship. And I said, God, I'm gonna worship you right now because you're a healer. And he gave me this little spontaneous chorus, the first line of, it is, be still my soul, there's a healer. And I believe that when we pray and say, all you have to do is speak a word. I know who you are. I know what kind of authority you have. I know how heaven operates. And so I'm just calling on you that it moves heaven and it moves him. And I believe something happened in that night that shifted And no, I didn't wake up the next day and instantly everything was 
totally normal. It took weeks and months for my brain to reorganize itself and for me to begin to live. But the tipping point was that prayer. So I know that when I pray a bold prayer of miraculous faith, a miracle happens. And the miracle that happens is that God's heart is touched and moved. And that that prayer doesn't just bounce around in the room. It actually ends up in a phenomenal destination. And you can see it in Revelation 5, where it lands. It says this in verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He's talking about Jesus now. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. You would expect that around the throne of God. But here's the part you might not expect. The golden bowls full of incense were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. A, there was a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Why, I asked, did the lamb look like it had been slain? Anyone? It's not a trick question. I know I always have trick questions. Why did the lamb look as if it had been slain? Why did Jesus look as if he had been slain? Because he had been slain. Because on that one day, the prayer wasn't, I need a miracle. I need you to get me off this cross. The prayer was glorify your name. And then God did a miracle. And because of that, he's in glory. So much so that when he takes the scroll, all the elders fall down and worship him. The living creatures fall down and worship him. They sing a new song to him at the throne of God. Why? Because he prayed that prayer that God always answers. Father, glorify your name. But then look at these 24 elders. They've all got a harp in one hand and a bowl in the other. The harp symbolizes worship. So worship is at the throne of God. The worship of the saints is at the throne of God. Our worship people are not songs to get us ready for a sermon or to help us get in a better mood. Our songs somehow are around the throne of God, providing the atmosphere in which God lives. But there's also a bowl in each hand and the bowl's filled with the prayers of the saints. And the prayers of the saints and the bowls of the elders are rising up like incense around the throne of God right now. So you've got the fall fragrance burning in the house right now and the candle. Well, there's a fragrance burning around the throne of God eternally and the fragrance that burns around the throne of God are the faithful prayers of people who believe that he can do the impossible. Our prayers end up at his throne. 
You're like, I know, but I didn't get what we asked for. God is working miraculously. Well, how do you know that? Because your prayer is still living at his throne right now. That always makes me think about my mom, Martha Jean. She was a praying woman. Anybody's mom like that? When she was getting older in her age, Shelly or I or my sister, we'd call her at night. She'd say, I'll call you back. I'm in the tub. And that meant call me in about an hour because I'll be in here singing hymns for about 30 minutes and then I'm going to pray for every single person alive for the next half hour. Every night. Every day. When she uh, was declining because of her debilitating illness in the late stages of her life, there were a lot of nights we'd have to take her to the hospital, a lot of ambulance rides. Eventually, she would need to go to an assisted living place and then eventually to a more uh, higher level of care place, eventually to the hospital the weekend that she died. And in every one of those journeys to and fro, the last thing she would say before she got in the ambulance was somebody grab my prayer journal. And someone would hustle back in and get her little spiral notebook that had her shaky handwriting in it from Parkinson's. And you could just turn over a page and it would be like a whole list of the women that she's praying for through a ministry in our city that are transitioning out of very hard situations and trying to re-engage in life. And she'd have all their names in there and a specific prayer request for every one of them. She'd have them in there by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This Thursday, Louis, today's the day I'm praying for this girl and this girl and this girl and this girl. And I remember when we were with her, she took her last breath. And a whole lot of thoughts were happening in that moment. But pretty soon, one of the big ones for me was, I'm not going to have Martha Jean praying for me like she's prayed for me every single day of my life. And God's spirit just nudged me and said, don't you worry. Your mom's put enough prayers in that bowl that you're going to be covered to the very last breath that you breathe on this earth. Your mom has put enough prayers in the bowl for the journey. Thank you, Martha Jean, for filling up your bowl with bold prayers. They are the fragrance at the throne of God. You got any prayers in there? You got any incense rising up today? Wouldn't it be a tragedy to somehow by God's grace make it into heaven and realize that the bowl has none of your prayers in it? And God is saying, come on, come on, come on. You can amaze heaven. If you don't know what to pray, pray the pray, prayer that I'll always answer. God, glorify your name. But know this, our last point, and I close here, our third point, is that every prayer of great faith results in a miracle. And the miracle is that it ends up being the incense at the throne of Almighty God. 
So five practical things I would encourage you with. Number one, don't get stuck trying to resolve the tension. Don't spend so much time trying to figure out if God already knows everything, why did I need to pray about anything? Don't, don't get stuck in that. Just lean into the mystery and know that he's invited you. And that's all you need is an invitation to pray big prayers. So go for it in Jesus' name. Number two, pray prayers that are as big as God. Yes, you pray that your sick tomato plant will get better. Not too little, nothing too small for God. But make sure you're putting in the bowl prayers that are as big as he is. Three, don't fixate on the way God is moving. Trust that God is moving. Number four, make yourself available to pray for things that don't directly involve you. I have to get an amen from somebody. This is when you know you're moving with the kingdom. When you're praying and asking for miracles that pertain to things that don't relate to you, but you know they relate to God. And because they matter to God, they matter to you. You're like, well, I wouldn't even know how to pray half the time. I know, and this is the beauty of it all. And I I could put this in as, we're gonna talk about this next week. We're closing this whole collection, by the way, with uh, prayers for how to pray for a beginner, because I don't wanna not do that talk and I need it. So we're gonna end there and we're gonna talk about this, but I'll tip my hand to it. Um, We just need to spend a lot less time informing God and the people around us. Dear Lord, I wanna pray for Aunt Irene. She's having um, surgery on Tuesday morning down at Methodist Hospital for, um, to, to remove the, the thing on her arm. I believe it's at 11-ish. You can just skip all that. He already knows the doctor's name. I saw an ambulance pull into the neighborhood behind where we live and it's all residential where the ambulance went. So I know it wasn't going you know, it was going to somebody's house, most likely, because you wouldn't cut through there to go somewhere else because it's all windy roads. And I was like, oh man, do you ever have that happen? And you're like, I want to pray for this person. I don't know him, doesn't pertain to me. I'm on my way home, but hey, I, I, I'm here and I'm available for whatever you're trying to do right now. And so I want to pray. But what I didn't pray was, Lord, I just want to pray for this person. Um, I, you know, you know their name and you know what they're going through. It's like, save all that. He knows where the ambulance is going. He knows the person's story. He knows what the situation is, but he's inviting me to pray prayers of faith. And so I just prayed the only prayer that I thought to pray right that moment. I said, God, I just joined you because you invited me to. And I just want to speak over their house in Jesus' name. I speak Jesus over their house in Jesus' name. Went home. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on, but I know I'm in that story. And then lastly, link miracle prayers. That's what we were talking about before, to bold mission. Link miracle prayers to bold mission. In other words, don't try to use God's mission to get him to do what you want him to do, but make sure you're connected to God's mission when you ask him what you want him to do. Did that make sense to anybody? In other words, don't say, Lord, this is my, my, my person here and I want you to heal them and do it so that people will be saved. 
I haven't asked you to save any people this year. But now I'm trying to ask you to save some people because I really need you to do what I need you to do. No, let's start praying more that God will save people. Let's start praying more that the gospel will go forward. Let's start praying more for revival where we are. And then when things come up that we're asking God to do miracles for, we can link the two things together and say, I do want you to heal this person that I love. But if you do heal them, and I know you're going to do whatever is best in this moment, and I'm praying, glorify your name. But I'm asking for a miracle right now, because you can do a miracle. And as you do it, I pray all the doctors will get saved. I pray that everybody on the floor in the hospital will get saved. I pray that their coworker who has believed in you will come to know Jesus. I pray there will be salvation as you move miraculously in this moment. I'm not just trying to co-opt a miracle into my story. I want to link my story into your mission. And then as I'm praying into your mission, I'm going to need miracles for people to believe in Jesus. Wow. Did you see the shift in that? Anybody see the shift in that? And I believe that shift moves heaven. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.